0: Hello, and welcome to this episode of Simply Connected uh, with Data Projections. I am here with my uh, trusty partner, uh, Sandy Hill, and we are going to bring a new uh, interview to you guys this week.
1: So I am so excited to hear about this, Chris. I mean, what an icon. I, want, I, I, I just, this is, this is going to be a great one.
0: So, so this week I'm, I'm interviewing uh, Carl Hooker. And, and Carl is a, a voice for instructional technology and um, just technology in schools in general, but so much more. And we got lucky and, and knew Carl uh, as a client of data projections um, for many years when he was um, in charge of digital learning and instructional technology at EANS ISD in Austin, Texas. And um, so we all, we all knew him. Um, with when he was at Eanes. And, and in the last few years, he has kind of broken, f- broke free of that and, and has really started to do podcasts and, and writing and, uh, you know, blogs and websites and just really is out there and is a voice for um, a technology in the schools, but also just a voice for, for you know, so many more uh, things. And and, and so um, we really try to hit on as much of it as we can in this interview. So I hope you enjoy it. And uh, we'll catch up with you after the interview. Well, uh, thank you for uh, joining us for this week's edition of Simply Connected. And uh, I'm excited to uh, bring along uh, an, an educator uh, at technology um, innovation kind of genius in many ways people will tell you um, but a guy that we know from data projections from back in the day as he used to uh, really be a, a client for us at Ian's ISD in uh, Austin Texas and uh, that's Mr. Carl Hooker and uh, welcome to, to the podcast Carl.
1: Hey thanks for having me Chris appreciate it thanks for, i like to be on here.
0: Yeah. So so like I said, you used to be a, basically a contact for us um, with Ean's uh, ISD when we were working with you guys back then. And, you know, you have since then left uh, the school district, left the school classroom kind of day to day kind of world. Um, and that was what, about 2019 or so?
1: Yeah. Summer of 19. Everything. Yeah. Uh just decided to, to go on the road retire at an early age and try to figure out if i could do consulting and speaking full-time that was of course before a pandemic hit but uh, right <laughs> well and that's what i was going to ask you so so
0: really i mean in your own words without you know reading through your linkedin bio you know what have
1: uh what have you been up to since
0: 2019
1: uh on a bridescale on a broad scale, of many things, and like like everybody else during the pandemic, everything changes. Every you have to adjust your priorities, and uh, of course, family being the most important. And then from there, it was like, okay, now how do we make this all work? And so I've been involved in several different projects. One uh, being a national a national faculty emeritus for um, Future Ready Schools at a DC, and they've been doing great policy work. I've been involved with them for for over a decade, but um, officially kind of doing work with them on the side, and then. Uh, let's see what else created a couple podcasts like like you on a on the podcast mm-hmm. i feel like that's like the, the the sourdough of the pandemic right we all yeah. either either make sourdough bread or you make a podcast and so we're all making podcasts these days um what else very much uh, so uh wrote a book called ready set fail that just came out in january um started i launched a social media website for educators only called k-12leaders.com that launched in december we're still very beta but we're growing that out and that's uh, uh, basically a social media platform designed to connect educators, but also to kind of help us with whatever this next iteration of education will be once we get through this great resignation or the big quit or whatever we want to call it. Uh, and so like figuring out ways and avenues to keep educators in education, that's kind of the the, the mantra of that site and uh, the team that I'm working with with that. So yeah, and then speaking, talking, doing consulting, a little bit of everything, substitute teaching. I was telling you earlier with my yeah. uh, my, my yeah. own first class when, you know, subs are in a shortage. So when I have a moment, I was like, I'll go in and pitch in when I can. um, just volunteer and sub so it it keeps me connected to the classroom which I think is great because I miss that part of not being in a school full-time right
0: well and and for myself I mean I don't know if you know this about me but for for myself you know I spent several years within um, the private school world uh, prior to coming to data projections and you know was in the classroom and was was dealing with uh, kids on a one-to-one basis but also working with faculty on other things and uh, it's definitely you know stepping away from just a campus uh, in in that kind of world on a daily
1: basis. It definitely is uh, very different and takes a different kind of toll on you. It's interesting. Um, But... Yeah, it's uh it, the disconnection that that was my biggest fear. If I had to be honest with myself, I mean, leaving a leaving a district is scary enough because you have healthcare and all. You know, anyway, going independent is just a roller coaster. But honestly, it was that what you're just talking about that disconnection or that not being connected to what's happening in a classroom. And I feel like for me, that's where my heart and soul is, and and that's also part of my message when I talk to teachers and leaders. So to not have that, all of a sudden, I become disingenuous. As a speaker, as a consultant, so for me, I've been fighting tooth and nail to make sure I'm still in classrooms and still working with teachers, and still, and whether it be volunteering or consulting or however, I'm still in the classroom pretty regularly. Well, it keeps you grounded to the purpose of, of sure. what you're doing, which is to help educators
0: um, educate better, right? Absolutely, and and, and help these students um, have have a, a brighter future. You know, hopefully, ideally, right. Um, well, you, you mentioned your book "Ready, Set, Failure," uh, "Ready, Set, Fail," and you know, but you also had another. Um, you, that's not your first right. jump in at, at writing, right? I mean, you had a series <laughs> that you used to do, um, right? Pre-pandemic, right? Way pre-pandemic. Um, mobile learning mindset, um, right? I mean, uh, is that something that you're still playing with? Tell us a little bit about mobile learning uh, mindset and see and and yeah. how that's kind of affected these days.
1: It was a six book series I wrote 2016 and 17. And the whole premise was like, imagine there's a global pandemic and you're forced to take kids home with devices. No, I wasn't that smart. I wasn't that predictive. <laughs> that no. would have been awesome. <laughs> but I was like, wow, man, this guy's on top of things. No, Shadama's here. Yeah, I know. No, but it really, it was centered around because, we, you know, when, we were, when I was at Ease, we had a one-to-one program. We were probably the first K-12 iPad program in Texas, I would say, um, with 8,000 students. And so being one-to-one in 2011 and just the things, the lessons learned from that, So it was years of learning from that and so the book series was put out, um, essentially with the idea that each each book would be given to a different audience member so a parent would have one copy of a book, uh, the parent edition and then there's the teacher edition the leader edition, the IT director edition, all of them have similar over uh, kind of crossover in terms of terminology but then each one is directed at whatever their position is in terms of how it affects mobile learning. And the parent's a big part of that. And so is IT, of course. And so really folding in all of those components into a series of books. Um, And yeah, it was uh, interesting. I mean, I would say for those of you out there thinking of writing, don't ever sign a six book deal saying you can do it in 18 months because that was crazy. <laughs> three little I kids. Was, and I was blown away by time.
0: that. <laughs> oh, if I threw, and with three, yeah, with the kids, that's a whole nother story. I, I was actually shocked that, you know, when I was looking back at it and I knew that you'd had that. And I went back and was looking, uh, I think on your author page there on, on Amazon. And I was like, wait a minute, these were all done within like a two year period. Like, yeah. <laughs> I was expecting one to be 2014, 15, 16. Um, but no, that did kind of shock me. So. Um, well and and with the, the mobile learning mindset right i mean you talked about the ipads and, and having the you know implementing that kind of uh, the, the mobile devices into the classrooms and in the hands of the students and and faculty to be able to use that right um, has that really you know have you seen people asking you know for guidance in the in the pandemic right we're basically a huge group of You know, school districts around the country basically spend a ton of their, you know, CARES Act funds, ESSER funds on mobile devices for their students.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of people um, would say, told me right at the beginning, like, oh man, you're going to be like in high demand and all this. I was like, I think a lot of people were just in this kind of state of what I call educational triage, where it was, here we have funds, let's grab the devices as fast as we can, throw them in the hands of kids, and then send them home. And I put out some work on remote learning. I tried to, I did a little online course. I tried to create free, a, a series of free things that I could put out on my blog and um, just to help teachers across the country. And it, then it got kind of quiet and I thought, okay, I hope everyone's doing okay. I haven't heard a word. And what's interesting is now that we're, I I'm not going to say all the way back, but we're close to full, full back. I would say, you know, it's been two years, two weeks. Since it started, well, that's funny because remember they told us at the beginning it was gonna be two weeks. I guess they were yeah. right, but it was they forgot the the two, the year two years two years, <laughs> the beginning of it. Yeah. Right. For two years, two weeks as of this recording. Um, and now schools are coming back, and there's this feeling that um, that device was useful for remote learning and virtual learning. And so now that I'm back in the classroom, I can just put it back in the closet. Like, and there's a lot of this, and this isn't in every school, but I've seen it with some schools I'm working with where that mindset is the device equals remote mm-hmm. learning equals online at home learning. And so teaching them now about blended learning, that's the next big thing, mm-hmm. right? It's not the next big thing it's been around, it's mobile learning too, but, um, and how does that work and how is it effective in your classroom? And how could you use all these great skills that we just picked up the last two years and actually have them in your classroom that's where I'm starting to see more and more of, of schools reach out to me and say like, okay, so they know how to do a Kahoot and they know how to, uh, you know, post something on a Padlet wall, but what do we do next? Like how do what, you know, what are right. we supposed to be doing next with teachers? And so that's kind of where I'm coming in now and working with schools and I'm excited. Honestly, I, Chris, I feel like in some ways, this was the EdTech Bowl. you know, the pandemic finally set all the things that you and I have championed for years is finally coming mm-hmm. to light. It's like, yes, we need to use technology in a thoughtful way. Um, and now it's, I, unfortunately, I think it's tied to the pandemic somewhat. So people are feeling like a negative feeling toward it as teachers. I understand it's stressful. Well, and, and I think about, um, a couple of things. One, I,
0: I, my, my kids, you know, who are first grade and fourth grade, um, you know, so when all of this started, my daughter wasn't even in school. Her first year of, of kindergarten was starting in my living room and my, my son you know, was what would that been second grade at the end of uh, 2020 and uh, and whatnot, and they did not have mobile devices that they you know carried to and from school, but but now they do, right? Because my son in our district, he was uh, provided a Chromebook. My daughter was provided a an iPad for her kindergarten year, and she's still using that iPad. He's still using the Chromebook, and they come home and they and and this is maybe a. Uh, you know, a, a pat on the back to our school district, but they are still using those on a daily basis and they are Good. still using them in school and in class, right? Um, because I think you, you hit it on in the head is that mobile learning is, you know, people, I think people were afraid that remote learning was different than mobile learning and, uh, and whatnot. And it can be joined together and right. uh, in so many ways. And, and, you know, I think back to the beginning of 2020, um, whenever everything really hit, I made a comment to a colleague of mine. I said, you know, we've been talking about the flipped classroom for years. Yeah. <laughs> now um, it's happening. I said, man, <laughs> if you actually had the flipped classroom already in play, you're a rock star. Oh yeah. Um, you would have been a rock star, you know, where where you're filming your your lesson plans and whatnot in advance and giving them the students so that the kids would come into the classroom and learn and do their homework there and they're watching their lessons at home, right? But man, those those people would have been rock stars. But um, unfortunately you know, what people start talking about flip learning in 2011, 2012, you know, 20 years later, we're still, we're starting to really
1: see it. Right. Yeah. I was thinking just about the peripherals that go along with all of this too. Like I'm sitting here at my desk now, two years ago, I'm on my laptop. Now I've got a Logitech camera. I've got two different spotlights. I've got a Yeti mic. I mean, I've got yeah. my headset. I mean, this is all you have to invest in that stuff too. And teachers were in a large and a <laughs> giant 34 inch, you know, Dell monitor Um, teachers had to invest in that stuff too, because I mean, it's hard to do it all from a little laptop. So just the, the remote learning kind of setup was great, but why not? Yeah. Instead of putting that in the closet, like you're saying, just, yeah, we'll just use it as a flip model now. And Mm -hmm. just, it's like, I feel like that would just be the next iteration of it. But yeah, I mean, there's also an urge for most humankind to go to normalcy and and that normalcy is the balance of where they were prior to the pandemic. So I think that's the pendulum swing. And I think we're going to, it's going to swing back again. I mean, pretty soon now that we have a, you know, a mass exodus of educators. We're going to have to figure out something different.
0: Well, and, and I think kind of what we're talking about leads to to one of the the, the blogs that you've been writing for a while, um, but that I've always found kind of interesting to see, which is your your bold predictions for yeah. Ed Tech for the next year, right? And I was looking through your bold predictions for 2021, and uh, you, you you updated it in January based like here's what I thought how it went, right? And so, you know, some of the stuff that you have. In there, that I thought was, you know, pretty interesting. Uh, you know, the the mega face to face conference dies and is reborn hybrid, which we definitely saw to some extent. But I oh, think yeah. kind of like what you're, what you're, you know, saying. Hey, everyone kind of did that, but because of, you know, um, for whatever reason, people wanted to get back to normal, and so now it's really kind of being reborn back into um, everyone's going to the best they possibly can. Um, which leads to one of your predictions for 2022, right? Which was yeah. uh, about ISTI. Um, yeah. Where would you say it was? Uh, how'd you put it? It was ISTI's going to be. Um, well, it's going to oh be like a it, class reunion or something like that. It right? is. It's,
1: it, it's. It's. I think I used the word train wreck originally, and then I changed it because, <laughs> because in my head, I mean. You haven't seen these people in three years, and um, we're all getting back together, and we're all going to be in New Orleans of all places, which is, is uh, as I say, what could go wrong, but uh, no, I, I think, and I think what we learned, I don't know, I, there was one I went, oh, Visti which was in Virginia, the, the Virginia Istia um, affiliate, um, we did that one in December, and I think what was interesting about that was they actually had some sessions, I thought they had what I thought would be the perfect kind of layout, they had some rooms kind of set up, just empty rooms. Um, and sometimes they would have a room with a projector screen and somebody was presenting remotely live. Sometimes they had rooms set up where you could just go to like a quiet space and like, mm, there's no sessions that are live. that are really on my list right now, but I'm going to go over here and do this one online instead. So kind of finding quiet space. So again, you're in person, but you're also taking online. And then the people that are online, of course, get to see some of the in-person, but they also get to, you know, I, I, I kind of feel like that's maybe where we're headed. And then I'm doing ASU GSV, which I've never been to, but it's coming up next week. And they started this week, a week early, a virtual one using Gather with VR. So virtual reality. Now you go in, whether your computer or with your Oculus goggles, whatever, and you go into to rooms and do the virtual reality Ready Player One thing. Which I, I feel like I don't know if you remember, I don't know if you're old enough to remember um, this thing called Second Life. You remember that? It was like this online platform. It's 2001, 2002. ISTE had one. And you could go in and like go into little rooms and your little avatar and you'd walk your little thing over. Yeah. And again, it was just ahead of its time. So timing is right. a big part of innovation. Right.
0: Well, and, and we actually uh, assisted in some different organizations trying to host hybrid conferences. Right. Where we actually helped to to do some of the streaming and recording. Uh, through some video on-demand servers and, and streaming platforms. But then, you know, where you had people who were remote providing presentations and, and we were there recording it and, and streaming it and all those kind of things. And it was tough because it was for us on some of the ones we did, we did it as a, here we are, a reseller who has the platforms to do these things. And we use tools and, and products that manufacturers kind of donated to us for the, for the event. Right. And, and it, it turned out, I'm going to say, okay, we had struggles with network. We had struggles with other mm-hmm. things um, along the way. Um, and, but what I saw too, much like what you're talking about with, with those platforms is I've seen several different kinds of platforms jump up with that VR thing where people were, you know, um, using that to host their virtual conference and they're really pretty cool, but man, they're not cheap. No. Um, <laughs> and, and that's a, and, and which I think caused people to, to steer, clear of it all too a little bit yeah so i don't know that's don't gonna know be different that take, where, i'm not sure where that takes us but it was just it was just i think if those kind of platforms weren't if it wasn't such a huge jump and in, in cost it might have been more successful and and more widely you know accepted moving forward maybe a little bit more yeah um but it's interesting to think through
1: can't give, can't give VR headsets to everybody, right? No. I mean, to make it a part, no. I mean, I guess you could do it with part of your registration. They're about 250 bucks now, but yeah. the other part of that I noticed is that it's really hard and I've yet to find anyone that's able to do this, but I've yet to find a way to mimic the networking that happens like in hallways, you know, that kind of like the, the happenstance, you know, five minute conversation that leads to some great idea. That kind of stuff is really hard to emulate on a virtual platform. And so while the sessions are always fairly good, you know, they're a little bit different because it's 2D versus 3D um that was a i feel like that's still something that we have to and maybe vr is the answer but again like you said the price point's just not there yet i don't know how that's gonna happen and and that's actually a a concern in the conversation we are having as a
0: as a av integrator with corporate clients that we work with on the return to work platform and we are going to work we're not going to work we are going to work you know back and forth that we've had in the last couple years but you know you don't have the water cooler conversations um yeah via you know, zoom, you know, if I'm, you know, whereas if I go into my break room right now here in our San Antonio office, I may see three or four different people and be able to have conversations or they may be able to ask me about a project or whatever it may be. Whereas if I'm at home on my Zoom, the only way I have those conversations is if someone initiates that call, right. um, which we don't always do because we're focused on what we have going on. And so that's that collaboration that happens, whether it's at a conference or walking down the school hallway or the uh, corporate office space is definitely something that would be, it would be great to figure that out um, yeah. moving forward. A know, an idea that someone's got to come up
1: with. Right? Yeah, there you go. And I think that's what you lose. And I, I, think, I don't know if you've ever been to the Googleplex in Mountain View, um, that's a cool spot. I mean, it's a huge mile wide campus, right? And we went up there and visited one year. And what was interesting is they just, they actually encouraged those kind of happen happen chance water cooler conversations. They have the little micro kitchens with free food. Their lunch is all free, but it's all set up on these long kind of beer garden tables because they want different groups sitting with each other. Because they said if they just did round tables, you'd have the same four people from the same engineering department always sit together. And then when they didn't provide food, what happened is those same four people would get in a car and they would drive somewhere to have lunch. And then they would come back. And so there's loss of productivity there, but also loss of creativity and diversity of thought because they're only meeting with the same people versus like what you're saying, you know, the happen chance conversation that happens in a school hallway could lead to, you know, I ran into my, my bus transportation guy once and it led to a conversation that got us to Wi-Fi on buses. Now, if that's an email to him, that email probably disappears down his inbox. And he's like, oh yeah, I'll get back to that at some point. But it's amazing yeah. how like those conversations, so I don't know, you're right. I don't, that is a million dollar idea if you can figure out a way. And I think Clubhouse tried to do it Remember the clubhouse thing was big for like mm-hmm. a moment, um, right at the beginning twenty twenty one. Like, oh, just join people's conversations and maybe something can happen. And eh, it's like kind of everything else, it gets a little bit overdone um, or oversailed, uh, oversalesy, I guess, too, in yeah. some ways. Yeah. Well, um, it, it's people have great ideas and they want to try to, you
0: know, become compensated by it in in a lot of ways. Right? Oh yeah, and that's the and that's part of the struggle too, right? So the uh i'm looking at the your your bold predictions for 2022 and there's a couple of them here that that kind of jump out at me um that i want to um, yeah. get your your two cents on uh, a new digital divide emerges um and tell me if i'm wrong but but for me the digital divide there was a, there was kind of a, a twofold right you had the um before you had it where the students um a digital divide between the students where you had certain students who had you know at, uh, you know access to technology access to you know good wi-fi access to good mobile devices and whatnot and then you had the students who didn't right right um and so you have that divide between the students um in, in that world and then also the divide for for teachers where they had technology available to them but they had no clue how to use it right um is that are you looking at one of those or are you thinking of a whole that's, different
1: that's kind of where version. i'm headed so the i i, I by the way, the, the current digital divide too, I should say is not necessarily over. I mean, we had 16.9 million students with no connectivity. That was summer of 2020. So that was as we're heading, we're already into the pandemic, but at, you know, those are pretty high numbers for this country. But um, those numbers have come down quite a bit. We've had a lot of uh, an infusion of funds and devices and mobile hotspots and things that have helped with some of that. But I'm more on what the second one, what you talked about, which is like now it's, it's going to become a how are they using it? And what I've seen is and I've worked on the east side of Austin and on the west side of Austin, and I've worked in low income and high income. And it's amazing to me that the gap there that exists, I already know there's a the gap when it comes to the, the social economic gap. But I'm talking about just the use of technology. In one case, uh, let's say in the higher economic area, you've got kids doing entrepreneurship ideas and creativity and innovation and time for this because they aren't just focusing on the test because data shows that, you know, depending on your income, that's how well you score on state correlated tests. And on the lower part of uh, lower income part of town, there's they're doing a lot of rote re- repetitive memorization gameplay type stuff. So we're going to put you on this little I'm not going to name any companies, but we'll put you on this software and you're going to play this thing for 15 minutes. So you can learn your math better. And then you're going to do this thing and play, you know, and there's a balance to all of it, I feel like, but those kids don't have the opportunity and they need it too for creativity and innovation and entrepreneurialism and, and kind of thinking outside the box, uh, which is probably an overused phrase, but. I just don't see it happening as much there. And so in my head, I'm like, this is this is great. We've now got the devices where most of us do. And now most of us have the connectivity. But now it's going to come down to teacher training, how it's being used, what the goals are of the district. And then, of course, the big old state test that we all have to worry about. Um, so I, that's kind of where I think that phenomenon or where that change is going. And that's kind of why I made that prediction. I think that I, unless somebody kind of sees that and alerts to it, they're like, wait, wait, we're way doing this too much Is just, you know, repetitive worksheets that are digital now. Mm -hmm. Well, I could
0: definitely tell you that my, just with my, my kids, um, when they had different teachers kind of rotating in or whatever it may be, you could definitely see which teachers had a clue on how to use technology on the day-to-day in their classroom before the pandemic hit, because they had adjusted quickly and easily. Um, And the, you know, right or wrong, it was usually the younger teachers. Um, but I know that there are older teachers who have, oh, yeah. have truly embraced the technology and different stuff. And so that's, um, but it's interesting to see that, um, you know, and, and even within, uh, I've joked around with some people that, you know, the pandemic brought around the, uh, the rebirth of the document camera Yeah. Um, in many ways, because people began to use the document camera in a way they'd never used it before um, or the way it was intended originally,
1: maybe, um, but yeah. And that's interesting because you mentioned that whole, you know, the thing about age, the age thing too. And I'm glad you mentioned that it's not always necessarily young ones because I've done pre-service teaching and I work with pre-service teachers and I'll, and I'll go into those college classrooms and tell them like, Hey guys, you know, the assumption all of us have is that you're this young 22 year old, 23 year old, and you're going to be able to come in and you know, technology backwards and forwards. And the truth is they know TikTok, Facebook. They know a lot of those technologies backwards and forwards. They don't necessarily know educational technology or even like, what is a deeper you know deeper set of knowledge skills what's or higher order thinking what is you know using uh, you know changing your pedagogy in a way that's going to invite kids to ask questions versus you just telling them click on this to record your FlipGrid and then hit stop you know instead asking them um to think about it critically so there's style in there that that doesn't that sometimes gets missed with the younger teachers and then with the older teachers my my daughter last year, just like you, we had our kids for 587 days, um, from spring break till October 27th of this last year. So it was a long spring break. Yeah. Um, and my youngest was in a second grade class where she never saw her second grade teacher. And on the last day of school, she, and my, her second grade teacher is well-tenured. She retired last year. She was like, this is my last year, but I'm going to try this. I loved her. She was always willing. And I would call her and, and we would have conversations or working her through zoom problems and things like that. Always willing to learn. And at the end of the year, when my daughter hit, and you know, instead of like the big hugs that happened at the end of the year, she just hit leave meeting, right? Because it was, that was it. Um, She was crying. And I asked her why she was crying. And she said, because she'll never get to hug Miss Garcia. And I thought to myself, that's what's important right there. It's so impactful that this teacher who doesn't really know a lot about technology was still able to reach and create a relationship with my daughter who she never physically saw in person the entire year. And then Five days later, after the school was out, we happened to be going into a pet store and we heard her voice. And my daughter just smiled and we went over there and looked, and there was Miss Garcia, and she goes, Can I hug you? And we're like, Yeah, because you know, you have to ask for permission these days, right with, with COVID. And it was the biggest hug. And I was like, I was crying. I was like, Oh my god, right. this is it goes so to... it still comes back and with you all knew the voice, and that's yes, what it was. You, you heard the pick voice pick it up and with everything. It still comes back to that relationship. And I I, I knew we get excited about the new tech and the new toys, but I think a teacher that can wield that well and create a relationship with that um, and then inspire the creativity. Oh, man, that's that's magic right there. Well, and and, and talking about new tech and new technology
0: and, and new toys and whatnot, it's something that you mentioned in your 2022 bowl predictions, but it's also something that I see at home uh, with my kids at times uh, with a, a uh a, an app that we allow them to have on their phones um we try to be protective with that and, and as much as we can but that's uh roblox which yeah. introduced us right into the metaverse right yeah. and, and and what that all entails and you know uh you know that's something i think that blows probably a lot of people's minds when they begin to think okay how is the metaverse gonna affect education moving right. forward um what's your what's your two cents on on that
1: well web 3 is is it's being called web 3 in a lot of ways just like we had web 2.0 back in the day um and it's uh and there's a few educational leaders that are way ahead like my uh, the, the tech rabbi michael cohen i've been following him for years and he's way into the whole nft crypto thing um and so i'm still learning i am still learning a lot about it to be honest but i think it all folds together so you can have this uh area or universe virtual space whatever land now they have virtual land deals you know you could buy a, a plot of land next to snoop Dogg's virtual farm or whatever right. for a million dollars but um all of that becomes real at some point because even though it's virtual i mean we're all going there so i think The interesting thing is right now it's still being built. And so it's kind of like you get to see the early iterations of what it might become. But every company and a lot of the companies you deal with, too, with your company, they're 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 investing in figuring out ways like how can we be a part of what this next thing is? And I think what it's going to be is sort of ready player one ish in my head. I hope for education's sake, it allows I'm excited that it might do this. It might allow us to finally, finally break from the geographic boundaries of what we have in our schools. meaning my daughter can only go, my daughter's going to middle school right now and she wants to take Italian class and they don't offer it at her middle school, but they do across town and they're like, we could bust you across town. I'm like, why does why do we still think that we have to physically be present at a place to learn when we could do you know, I learn from YouTube all the time. I learn from Google searches all the time. so, taking the metaverse to the next level will be like a student that wants to learn something different. That's not maybe being offered locally can now go online and do it in this new experience in a new space that, that kind of takes them there, I guess, if you will, as an avatar. Um, But then of course the backside of that is, you know, you got to watch out for, you know, under 13, you're not supposed to have VR goggles on for more than like 20 minutes before it starts to affect vision and and headaches. And so it's going to be interesting uh, to say the least. Uh, I do think uh, forward thinking schools are thinking like how what's our place in this or what What can we do to be a part of it? or at least pays attention to it I feel like as long as you're aware of it and are paying attention to it that's the first step don't necessarily need to invest in it yet but I do think education we're always about five or six years behind the rest of the world so when it comes to co- commerce at least you know when things are built and then five years later we we adopt it right but, right uh, I, I think the days of uh, teaching kids to write checks may be over we maybe need to talk to them about cryptocurrency next in our yeah. economics classes exactly so
0: in 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 trying to be conscious of our time here together today, I, I've got two kind of questions that hopefully won't are, aren't too too big, but they probably are for you that I want to uh, get you to to tell us a few minutes about. And that is Ready Set Fail. Yeah. Um, I think uh, I saw in the your your description in on Amazon it was something like this is a book that's been a lifetime in the making kind of thing. Yeah. Um,
1: uh, quick, you know, synopsis. What what tell tell me about Ready Set Fail. Well, first of all, I think everybody uh, could write a book about their failures, but we all have, 100%. unfortunately, we, we all have lots of failures. Um, and, and and some of them are personal, some of them are professional, some of them are in between. But um, so for me, uh, a lot of this book wrote itself, if that makes sense. And that, I'm not trying to sound you know, confident or overconfident or anything, but I felt like there were so many stories that I had already experienced over time of things and failures and risks that I took or didn't take based on environment, based on support, based on what I was what was happening in my life at that time. And to go in and analyze that was part of why I was actually originally writing the book. But then as I got into it, there's a lot of brain science behind what's happening. What are the barriers of creativity? What are the barriers of innovation? And it turns out we do some of this, a lot of this we do to ourselves. And some of it happens in our schools. And so the purpose of the book for me was like getting away, a way for teachers um, and leaders to encourage thoughtful risk-taking, not just like taking any crazy risk because there are some bad risks out there encourage some sort of thoughtful risk taking an environment that supports that but then also embracing failure because honestly if you learn from failure it's not a failure and 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 I think failure is a great teacher for that reason because if I've learned something from it and then my next iteration do something different because of it then that's progress that's not failing so the book is kind of set up in that way so we talk about some famous failures in the book we talk about those barriers of creativity Um, there's little activities throughout there's lots of reflection space built in because I feel like reflection is a lost art in learning and I and it's something that I've always pushed in all my sessions that I do and that's you got to take time to reflect guys I'm always like if you go to a conference what spend one minute at the end of the day and think what was one thing I've picked up today and if that's all you do at least that's something that's a reflection it's internalizing the learning and so yeah throughout the book there's lots of reflective uh, activities in there and then of course lots of activities just activities just to use in your classroom so if you want to you know, do a challenge with your kids. It could be a five minute challenge. Um, Some of it is just how you ask questions or how you model like, oh man, this is this technology isn't working today. Instead of saying, Oh man, this is why I hate smart boards. Instead, you could say like, wow, what, you know, what do we, what do we need to do? How do we make this thing work? What do y'all think? You know, and a lot of times kids of any age will step up and start saying, well, have you tried doing this? Or have you tried, you're just asking those questions. That's very subtle. You don't have to, there's not a curriculum around this. Um, It's just how you ask the question. And so I include a little bit of everything in there uh, when it comes to that, including when you're in an environment that doesn't support risk-taking, which a lot of teachers sometimes feel like they are in. And it and I show like, here's how you get, a, it's not necessarily how you get around it. It takes a lot more work, that's for sure. Um, and a lot of creativity is born out of obstacles. So um, I kind of mention all that in the book too. So it's, like I said, anyone could probably write a book about their failures. And I ask a lot of the reader to reflect on their own failures and their own risks and the ones that they did took and especially the ones they didn't take. Um, and why they didn't take them so um yeah in some ways it's 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 geared toward education but i've had people now tell me like oh you could use this in business or you can use it in other things and and maybe it'll get to that at some point but my purpose for this is education well and i can tell
0: you that in personally you're talking about reflecting i mean i can tell you that some of the best things in my life um whether it be my, my wife my children you know my jobs whatever it may be uh they, I would not have them in my life if it hadn't been based on some key failures that happened, that totally changed my, my road, yep. um, my path. And that's, that's pretty, you know, insightful, very much so. And it's great to get people to think about that from the educational standpoint too,
1: which I think is important because we want to teach our kids that 100%. Right. For, so there's, so there's tech tools in it too, but I mean, it's not a tech book, honestly. It's yeah. I I do reference some that I think are important for reflection and some that are important for getting, capturing students, thinking and learning, but uh, it's more about the principles of how do we encourage kids to take thoughtful risks and then how do we encourage them to recover from those failures and grit and resiliency are all the big things that we want to talk with kids about. Um, And that's something that's in here too. Very cool. Last thing I want to, I want to throw at you um,
0: K-12 leaders, um, social media site that, that you and some others have helped to, to, you know uh break ground on right you mentioned it earlier that you're still kind of in that beta world uh that is intended to be kind of a, a professional learning community yep. uh a networking community right for teachers for admin and, and whatnot right i mean uh who all is it that that you're targeting with this uh well, educational social media platform
1: so, uh, educational leaders means everybody. It could be it could be a teacher that's one that's just a teacher leader, and their everybody's got leadership in them. And so, our big thing is like let's let's lift up the voices of all those in K twelve, and we're talking not just about we're even going outside of that. We're going to like business offices and HR departments, and w- we need everybody kind of involved in the conversation. So we're right, right now this actually month we're pushing a lot toward HR departments, trying to talk to them about the big quit, and then what are the things they're doing to handle teacher shortages and substitute shortages. And so we've kind of made it a mix of like we're putting some content out there, but we also want it to be kind of a Facebook like in terms of its platform. I'm actually hosting um, two book studies on there right now because you can create groups within the platform. You can embed Zoom links within the groups. And so I could have like a group chat and then have, drop, drop a Zoom link in there and say, all right, we'll I'll go to Zoom via the site. So we're still building all that out. Um, the other thing, the one thing that I always uh, was kind of my big impetus for being involved in the, the team is whenever I go to a conference, I always download the app for the conference. And then there's a little connection social thing on the app. You connect with people and it's fun and we chat and this and that. And then the conference ends and about a week later, you look at your phone and you go, right, I'm going to delete the app. I don't need it anymore, right? Um, all these conferences are doing this. And I'm like, how great would it be that if we were all already on the same platform, that's an educationally focused social media platform, that each one had its own subgroup Um, Or for a company's sake, like your case and data projections, let's say you wanted to have a user group, you would host a user group, a private user group on the platform, that would basically be your way of getting insight to like, hey, these are some struggles, these are some things that our users are dealing with, or maybe these are some roadmap ideas we need to have as a company and so it's kind of those two areas the conference area and the vendor areas like i think is how we're going to kind of build this out a little bit bigger and also also to be candid how uh, we'll get for from, from me not to spending money on programming i need to get some, some funding from it. Got to get right. some funding um, but i don't want to ever charge a teacher or a leader in here so it's going to have to be free forever for those for educators so i'm trying to figure out ways like okay how do we build this up to where it can be a self-sustaining we're not trying to make money on it we're actually trying to create it's more of a nonprofit we're trying to create avenues where Teachers can also find each other and create, um, I don't know if it's side work, is A side hustle effort, it called lots of things, but opportunities for teachers to stay in the classroom by giving them extra income. So, like one example, one thing we're trying this next month is something called Anonymous Advisors, where we pay certain people of certain positions, you know, a monthly stipend to essentially go in and evaluate companies, ed tech companies, without them knowing who they are. They just know their title. So maybe they're like superintendent from the Midwest or teacher from the Southeast or something. And um, that we get funding from the company to do this. And then they basically, we crowdsource the information and then say, here are the things you need to work on in terms of the delivery of your platform, what your marketing messages are like, what's your, you know, what kind of angles you're taking, when's a good buying season in K-12 at different areas across the country. Cause you know, that changes a lot. Mm-hmm. So giving the vendor some information that's going to help them be better, but then also putting the money in some pockets of some teachers and some leaders out there. So that's like an early iteration of something that we're starting to try this month, just a beta of everything's beta. Um, yeah. we, haven't, we haven't even launched the app yet, but I think it's coming out. The phone app should be out soon. The Android one's out, but I think iPhone's coming in the next couple of weeks because like with anything with social media, you want people on there. And the only way to do that, they got to have it easy on their phone versus the web version, which never is quite the same, but we're working on it. So that's it. kind of a big overview snapshot, but yeah, k12leaders.com and it's free to join for everybody right now. There's no limitations on anything.
0: Well, that's no. And I think it's a great thing in in addressing, you know, the big quit or the great resignation and, and ways to keep teachers involved and, and, you know, is huge because I think we're, we're, we're losing too many of them. You know, we can't find enough of them. And if there's a way for, for them all to connect and collaborate and just support each other um, through something like this, that's enough, much less everything else that you're doing. So that's, that's
1: awesome. That's awesome. Well, and this is, it's inspired me to do this last part, which is I'm building this blog series slash podcast. I'm going to start a third podcast because I just don't have enough time in my day, I guess. But uh, <laughs> it's called it's going to be called Forward to Different. I'm actually writing a blog series on it now. It's, a, it's in response to Back to Normal. So I'm saying we're not going back to normal. We're going forward to different. And it is addressing what I'm seeing as scary numbers both anecdotally and then also through our surveys about the amount of people that are not gonna be coming back to education. And then what are we doing to address this as principals and as superintendents? Because I don't know that, I'm hoping there's contingency plans in place, but I don't know if they have those in place. So I'm yeah. starting to, I'm crowdsourcing ideas from everybody in the network. Like what are, what are you trying to do? You know, like Jasper right. ISD down the road from us, just went, they just approved a four day work week next year. So every teacher works four days a week. They get the fifth day off, they get paid the same amount of money. In fact, they get a little bit of a bump just to keep teachers around. Um, so it's, we're going to have to get a little drastic, I'm afraid, Chris, in it coming up. I don't know. Yeah. I'm hopeful it's not that bad. I'm not a doomsday guy, but I'm like, just in case, we should probably have some contingency plans before we have 60 kids in each classroom.
0: Right. Well, and
1: that's, that's the fear, right?
0: Is that you end up having too many kids in the class. You have, you know, my, my daughter had a, sub, had her teacher was out um, for a couple of days, you know, earlier in the year. And I think in that two, those two day period, they had about eight or nine different, Substitutes and I'm putting substitutes in quotes. Right, it was the principal, it was the assistant principal, it was the math specialist, it was yeah. the you know, it was the STEM teacher. I mean, they as they could they came in and covered the classroom, and so, um, because they didn't have anybody to, to, to assist with that, and so, no, I agree. Um, so. Well we have we have literally covered a ton of stuff as we're here. Um and you know <laughs> could and go on for yeah <laughs> Carl mentioned K12leaders.com as the website for the, the social media platform. Um but uh, as you're as you're listening to this, know that uh in the, the show notes for, for this episode, um we're gonna put in uh all the different websites that, that Carl is associated with, um where you can go find his blogs, where you can find his podcasts um, anything and everything that we can, where you can go to, to find his books, uh, and purchase those. And, uh, man, it's, uh, it's great catching up. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, hopefully it's not, not uh, a couple of years since we talk again and, uh, and, and whatnot, but, uh, I love seeing your content and, and keep it coming, uh,
1: no matter how busy you might be. Cool. <laughs> well, I'll see you in NOLA. Maybe we'll be in Orleans. Oh, there you go. Possibly, yeah.
0: possibly. Yeah. All right. isty in, in the summertime. So yeah, well, we appreciate it, Carl. And, uh, and thank you. Yep. Thank you guys. Amen. take care. Ah, bye bye okay so uh, what what are your some of your thoughts here sandy? I, I, I have so many myself, but what do you have anything that jumps out at you?
1: Just wow. you know, I've known Carl for probably over ten years, and he's always impressed me so much with his ability to oh gosh just find the best in education with technology i mean he just was always such a leader and and innovator and it listening to y'all just brought back all those memories of all the years of things that he would do i mean she, he's just gonna continue to blaze a trail
0: so yeah so carl humanizes uh technology in, in a lot of ways and and i think By saying that, I think, you know, it's kind of is not, I'm not trying to be counterproductive on that with that statement, but I mean, um, or contradictive in that statement, but really, it's, you know, he makes bringing technology to the schools, um, something that you see as a need and that you see as, um, you know, if, if you're not doing it right and if you're not doing it well, um, then it can be a struggle. And, um, but but he also does such an amazing job of, of teaching people and talking to people a, about um, kind of making it be invisible. Uh, and, and I say that, you know, you maybe sometimes hear about invisible technology in classrooms or what it may be, because in the end for Carl, um, the purpose of it all is the kid in that classroom. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, and it's and how can he support the teachers and the faculty who are teaching those kids? And, and changing their lives. And, and Carl's book that he just recently wrote and released, uh, Ready, Set, Fail, um, is, is really about teachers being able to, to learn from their failures and schools being, being able to learn from their failures, but, but taking the risks that um, help change the lives of these kids and lives of these schools and the teachers. And so I, I really encourage you to go learn more about Carl um is his uh website uh you can buy ready set fail at amazon and uh man just i I think if you get the chance to to go and hear him in person or or see some of his stuff online i I would check it out
1: i will do that he is dynamic thank you for Uh, having this podcast with him
0: yeah no i'm happy to do so and so thank you for joining us for this episode of uh simply connected And uh, make sure you uh, subscribe, like, comment, share, all those kind of good things. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, And we'll see you next time.